Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello. Welcome. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. Uh, this is the live stream edition on a Monday. Andy Barron's back here at the controls after um, a glorious weekend, a wonderful weekend in Canton, Ohio, at and around the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We were there for the Kings Classic Draft. Uh, I was also there for the Fantasy Football Expo, which was a delight. Uh, we were there with, I, I don't know, hundreds of, of our closest friends, including today's guest, I'm excited about this one. Uh, I'm excited about everyone, but I'm particularly excited about this one. Uh, joining me this week, Dave Kluge of Football Guys. Uh, he is one of, I mean, like, you know Sigmund, you know Joe, you know the usual suspects at the Football Guys. They've hired a bunch of great new talent. Uh, Dave is part of that. He is at Dave Kluge on Twitter. That is K-L-U-G-E. He is a great follow. He's super hot takey. He's very hot takey. Uh, he's he's also, like, he's literally podcasting all of the time, like 18 hours a day. Um, Dave probably hasn't slept in four days. Uh, I know he had an early morning flight. Uh, thank you for joining us. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me on. I remember when you came on my show, you kind of cracked a joke about me just living in this bubble and just podcasting 24-7. And <laughs> you know, it kind of feels like it's getting close to the truth now. I mean, I feel like I'm doing multiple shows every single day. I got another show that I'm doing later this evening. But uh, thanks a lot for having me on. And, and you know, you already called out the football guys are doing Big things over there. So it was really fun to get to meet some of those guys this weekend after having worked with them for almost a year now, finally getting to meet Joe and uh, and then meet you finally, you know, put a put a face to the Twitter name. So nice to meet you, Andy. And, uh, you know, couldn't have picked a better time to do this show together. Oh, it was uh, it was such a fun weekend. It was great to, you know, you, Troy, Sam, everybody. It was great to see so many of the football guys there. Uh, that was really cool. Yeah, um, I, I'm. It was inevitable, of course, that you would be on this show because, again, you are podcasting constantly. I feel like you're you're you just living in one of these little two boxes, right? You're always out there on a live stream somewhere. So it is great to have you here. If you guys are just catching this show on a Tuesday on on a, the regular podcast, that's great. Good job. Uh, you get you get partial credit for doing that. But you've only got a couple more Mondays left to catch these very special live streams. I really enjoy them. Uh, we're doing this every Monday in August, 1 p.m. Eastern. It streams on yahoosports.com, the Yahoo Fantasy app. If you've got questions for us, and I suspect you do, check out the stream on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, uh, your favorite social platform. 
uh, and please drop us a question. We are gonna we're gonna try to structure the show a little bit different this week. Take some questions really early in the process. Um, we, in the past, we've been saving a lot of these questions for like late in the show. Not what we're gonna do this week. We're gonna weave them in throughout. Uh, so again, drop those questions right now in the chat, and we're gonna hit the best ones sporadically throughout the show uh, as we normally do. I, I would like to hit a little bit of news at the top. But I think the greatest thing about the first full week of preseason football is that nothing catastrophic happened and there's no crazy breaking news, right? We don't have first round picks that are that are suddenly hurt. We don't have second round picks that are suddenly hurt. It, it's like we have Jonu Smith tweaking an ankle, but he's going to be fine. Uh, we have Melvin Gordon with a minor groin malfunction, but sounds like he's going to be fine. We have Dak Prescott returning to a limited practice. So like it's basically good news, which almost never happens. I, I assume we can agree, Dave, that uh, it, it is it is best to keep the breaking news to a minimum this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we had, it, it felt like a bloodbath two weeks ago where people were just dropping like flies in camp. So to go through an entire weekend yeah. of games and not have any catastrophic injuries, that, that's great to hear. Yeah, absolutely loved it. I actually want to get, um, I want to get right into a question that, that popped up that I think is a wheelhouse for me because it's like a scoring system question. I love this. It's from uh, Thompson Todd uh, and let's bring it up on the screen. Our scoring gives one point per completion. And Thompson is asking any quarterbacks jump up the ranking in that scoring system. Dave, who, who leaps to mind for you? I mean, the, the three guys that I think of immediately are on teams that are going to have a lot of passing volume. And I'll actually throw a fourth in there. And for me, it's Tom Brady, Joe Burrow, Dak Prescott, Ben Roethlisberger. Those are guys that I'm typically fading in most formats because they don't have any sort of rushing upside. But if you're getting a point per completion, these guys are all in a position where they can throw the ball 600, 650, might even push 700 pass attempts this season with that extra game. So um, I, I like this. You know, I, it feels like everybody nowadays has such a structured system that it kind of evens the playing field for everybody. So I like when people throw quirks in here that make their leagues a little bit different because it does force you to think outside the box and put value on some other players like that. So, yeah, like I said, for me, Burrow, Brady, Dak, and Big Ben would instantly get a boost. Yeah, I, I think you I think you have the right collection of names there. I guess I'd throw probably Matt Ryan is going to, again, throw a ton of uh, throw a ton of passes. The, the one thing I would suggest for this league, and maybe it's maybe it's too late at this point. I don't know if you've drafted or not. Uh, you probably haven't uh, at, at this point yet. But I, like maybe maybe something, maybe some kind of deduction for incompletions. Right. So that it's not just about the volume guys. Um, so that it's not just about the guys who are throwing 700 times. And I, I would agree with you. I think we're going to see a 700 attempt passer this year because we got the extra week. Right. And if you look at if you just look at Joe Burrow last year through 10 games, he was he was like dead on that pace, right? They were they were throwing the ball forty times a game with Joe Burrow. I see no reason why that won't continue this year. They played with pace. They were like right at the top of the league in terms of plays per game. So I think I think Burrow is actually a really sneaky strong candidate to to lead the league in pass attempts, which is obviously huge in this format. Like that's an extra seven hundred points, which is probably most of the scoring at the quarterback position. So again, like consider a deduction of, I don't know, half a point per incompletion, something like that, just so that it's not just so that we don't get one of those Blake Bortles years, right? Where Blake just threw the ball 680 times and by virtue of volume alone, even though he threw a million interceptions, he fumbled the ball a ton. It didn't matter. Like volume alone got him to, to QB1 status. Um, one more question before we get into the, to the heart of uh, what we're going to be talking about today. 
And this is from Olivia. Any defenses worth taking in an earlier round? I'm just going to I'm just going to quickly answer that with no. I don't know if you disagree. I mean, can I go full homer here and say that you might want to take the Chicago Bears a little bit early? I mean, they're, they're buzzing <laughs> right now in camp. But no, re- realistically, I don't think that you should be taking defenses or kickers any earlier than you need to. Um, I've fallen for that trap before where you think that it's going to be Pittsburgh or New England or Baltimore or something like that. And very rarely does it pay off. Typically, whoever I end up drafting on defense doesn't make it more than a couple of weeks. I'm usually streaming or picking somebody up off of waivers. So, uh, no, you use that draft capital on a receiver or a running back and wait for your defenses and kickers. Yeah, we also don't have like we don't have a defense right now that was like, you know, the, sometimes occasionally to, to bring it back to your point about the Bears. Occasionally, there would be a season with with like those Lovey Smith teams, right, where they were they were actually so focused on not just takeaways but scoring off of takeaways, right? That they had they had some pretty ridiculous fantasy seasons where they kind of crept up to like the positional edge that you could get from the Bears defense was so great that it that it really began to matter. And you you could have talked yourself into that being worth, I don't know, a, an eighth round pick instead of a instead of a tenth round or twelfth round or wherever you would normally take a defense. But I I just don't think there's one that clearly separates this year. Like I like Denver. I like Washington. I like San Francisco. I like a whole bunch of them. Um, and I, I don't think there's one that stands out as some freakish defense that is absolutely just a dead lock to, to finish at the top of the ranks. Normally, we're just terrible at, at guessing on defenses uh, yeah. in, the, in the preseason anyway. Whatever we think is going to happen at D. And as, as you say, matchups tend to dictate uh, defensive performance. And there's a lot of randomness too, right? Like the whole thing is driven by sacks and touchdowns, which are super difficult to forecast. So yeah, I fully agree with you. Uh, there's there's none that I'm that I'm considering taking early. So the foundation of today's show, and I'm kind of excited about this because we like have we have a full weekend, like a full everybody in the pool weekend of preseason football. You and I, I suspect, have only watched a, a small fraction of it, right? Like a little slice of it. Uh, I was able to watch most of the Bears game live, but I was simultaneously drafting a team this last weekend, right? And then we were just, you know, bouncing from from place to place at the expo over the course of the weekend. So maybe we didn't see a lot of preseason football live, but we've seen a lot of the numbers, we've seen a lot of the highlights. I've tried to watch at least the full Bears game. Um, pretty excited to have something to talk about. So our, our goal today is just to have a little overreaction theater. I'm just going to throw some things out there for you, and you can tell me if these are completely ridiculous premises, totally ridiculous assumptions to have off of one week of football. Um, let's begin. Let's let's begin with my Bears, and and I know you're, they're your Bears too. I know that uh, Pianowski just talked about uh, the Justin Fields performance uh, on Sunday night. I got to do it again, though, because this is really good. He went... 14 for 20, couple of touchdowns, one through the air, one on the ground. Um, my my initial preseason overreaction here, he's he's basically Patrick Mahomes 2.0, right? There have been some upgrades, um, but he's but he's pretty much Patrick Mahomes 2.0. You know, this is like the second generation of the Terminator, right? It's a little bit better than Mahomes. Is that is that pretty reasonable? Am I being am I being I don't know sensible here? I think I think you're being a little bit unreasonable. I'd say that he's kind of a blend of Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, just kind of all blended into one <laughs> with like all of the positives and none of the negatives. But uh, but realistically, you know, my initial reaction, I foolishly booked my plane flight right during the Bears game, so I didn't get to watch a second of it. And when the wheels touched down, I opened up Twitter, and instantly what I saw was the touchdown pass, which obviously people are going to get excited about. And there was nothing about that play that really excited me all that much. You know, it was, no. a, it was a great play call and play action, and you had the tight end leak out. And I was like, what are we getting excited about? 
But then last night, I responsibly went home early and I watched the entire game. And that's when it clicked for me. And I realized that this guy is the real deal. I mean, he looks absolutely fantastic in that game. And he got off to a shaky start. You know, he had the fumble, which uh, in hindsight was a little foolish, kind of leaving the ball out there to get stripped like that. He had a dropped interception. And I'm just going to chalk that up as nerves because once he got settled in, I mean, as long as I've been a Bears fan, I've never seen a guy that can command the field like this. I mean, the way that he's able to keep his eyes downfield, go through his progressions, and still avoid pressure by moving around in the pocket. Um, I, I really think the best play of the day was the rushing touchdown, which for whatever reason didn't get quite as many eyes on it. But that's a level uh, and a ripple in the Bears offense that I can't remember ever having. They tried it with Cordell Stewart way back in the day, bringing him in when he was a little bit past his prime. But seeing a guy that's got that extra rushing upside is just so exciting. So I, I'm thrilled. And, and you know, maybe we're getting a little bit too excited comparing him to Patrick Mahomes or to Sean Watson. But uh, what, what I saw was fantastic football. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously that's hyperbole. Of course, I don't expect him to be rookie year. Uh, well, second year Patrick Mahomes or any version of Patrick Mahomes, um, but it was super promising. Uh, and it wasn't just it wasn't just the mobility when he chose to run. It was, as you mentioned, his ability to keep things alive, his ability to create passing lanes where a pocket passer like a Nick Foles would not have created them. Right? Um, that was that was thrilling. That was exciting. And then his comments after the game about his own comfort level in the offense and, and the, and again, it's preseason football and these weren't necessarily, you know, this wasn't like a full varsity defense that he was, that he was playing, but he also wasn't working with the the best receivers on his own team too. Right. So just hearing him say that he was comfortable out there, that the game wasn't too fast for him, I thought was really encouraging. It didn't certainly didn't look that way. And he like, I haven't adjusted him in my ranks, I haven't dragged him up the ranks because I was already I was already very bullish on both uh, Fields and Trey Lance, only because it's like it's just a matter of time before they take over. And I hope it's opening week. I'm not sure it's going to be opening week. I guess I'd still favor Andy Dalton if I had to bet it. I would say that Andy Dalton is probably probably your opening week starter because I can't imagine them wanting to throw Justin Fields to the Rams like that. But it's not going to take long. And Matt Nagy already talking about getting Justin Fields time with more time in practice, more time in preseason with uh, with the number one receivers, right? Working with Allen Robinson, working with Mooney. That's going to be exciting too. So it's like, it's pretty thrilling as a Bears fan. I've already got Justin Fields ranked basically as somebody that you have to draft. I think he's one of those few guys. And I, again, I'm, I'm putting Lance in that, in that collection of names where even in a one quarterback league, I think somebody should still draft them as like a back end of the bench play. And as soon as they take over, going to want to start them because their rushing upside is like they're they're giving you five fantasy points before they've thrown a pass right like I think they're I think they're that good I think they they both have that kind of upside to them yeah I I couldn't agree more I mean I I just absolutely love Justin Fields this year and Trey Lance and and yeah I, I don't think that you should be leaving any single quarterback leagues without him what I expect is week four that's when I think that we're going to see Justin Fields. If you look at the Bears' schedule, week one against the Rams, I think that they're going to let Dalton have that. And then week two, a lot of people forget, is on the road in Cincinnati. And I think that Dalton's going to get an opportunity to play against Cincinnati. And then that week four matchup, the Browns are in between there. But week four is a home game against the Lions. I feel like that's a good you know, start for uh, Justin Fields. So, yeah. so week four is kind of when I'm expecting him to take over. Um, okay, we have, a, we have a great question that came in. That, uh, that that both addresses uh, a manner in which I have just drafted a couple of teams and uh, your personal brand. So let's let's hit this one. It is uh, what is the definitive way to draft this year? Zero RB, 
or zero wide receiver? I'm going to let you, uh, I'm going to let you take this first. So I don't think that there's a definitive way to draft. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a zero wide receiver guy. And I talk about this a lot. And if you go on my Twitter, it's my pinned tweet. And, and I think that for people that are getting new into fantasy football, that's a great way to set yourself up with a stable team that's going to stay consistent. And we see this almost every single year where you can get really good wide receivers that are coming in the later rounds. Last year, half of the guys that finished in the top 12 came in the fourth round or later. And that's a trend that we've seen year over year. And and I think that there's guys this year like Tyler Lockett and Deontay Johnson and Cortland Sutton that have that ability to reach wide receiver one status without getting drafted early. So just with these positional scarcity, that's why I like to wait on wide receivers. But there's no definitive way to draft. I mean, I have to play the board as it comes to me. If people are going really hard on wide receivers early, I'm going to try to take running backs early. But if everybody's going running back, running back, running back, running back, and Devontae Adams drops me at eighth or ninth overall, I'd be foolish not to take him. So I, I don't think that there's any specific way that you have to do it. You, you've got to be like water and, and just play the board as it comes to you. Yeah, no, I, I think I think your final point there is is probably the best point that anybody can make about this is that you've got to you've especially at the top of a draft, you've you've got to take the value as you see it, right? You can't you can't be thinking about filling positions in the first round, in the second round. I mean, you've just got to take the best thing that's on the board. That's it's always been my um my general read on it. This this weekend, and I won't dive, I'm not gonna dive too deep into into the drafts that I had, but in the King's Classic. It's a full PPR format, and so that's where I'm much more uh, I'm much more open to the idea of going zero RB. Not even not even deliberately. Like I actually assembled a couple of uh, more or less zero RB teams in that uh, in that league again because of the format. We've got three flexes in there. You start three wide receivers, so there is a there is a need to pile up really good wide receivers. And like you might hit on a flyer or two at that position, but you're not going to hit on four flyers at that position. Uh, so I drafted a lot of them early, but it was more a function of where I fell in the draft. I was, uh, I was, I was near the turn. I had, a, I had a lousy pick, right? Like there's, there are lousy places to draft in snake drafts. And I was, and I was ninth. I, we, we did a little thing where we had to, you know, we had to, we picked an order and then chose our draft position and I had a late pick and I got stuck with one of the worst draft spots there is, but I ended up with, with Kelsey, who I, who I view as a first rounder, gives you a huge positional edge. And then a bunch of running backs went off the board that I did not think should have gone off the board that early. Uh, so I came back with DK Metcalf, ended up piling up receivers. Of course, my running backs are trash. But again, in full PPR, you can get away with that. In half PPR, in standard, anything like that, I, I would never, even from any draft position, I don't think I would go zero RB. Um, let's get into another preseason over yet. Yeah, go ahead. Um, what I was going to mention is that this year is a little bit different because people are valuing the quarterback and tight end so much more than they had in years past, too. So if there ever was yeah, a year yeah. to wait for wide receivers, I feel like this is one of the years to do it with, uh, you know, three tight ends going in the top two rounds. Patrick Mahomes usually getting taken in the third or fourth. And then after Patrick Mahomes goes, you see Dak and Josh Allen and Kyler. So this could be one of those years where you can get wide receiver value later. Just because baked into the first four rounds, you basically got an entire round's worth of picks that are just going to be quarterbacks and tight ends. Yeah, one thing that uh, I, I will say that I am pretty convinced of, and and there have been you know a bunch of good arguments about this at a whole bunch of sites. I, I think the first one I read was was over to establish the run um, about the the sort of running back dead zone generally, right? Because you mentioned the number of wide receivers who were top scorers last year who could be found at like round four, round five, right? That's also like if you think of the running back dead zone as like rounds three through six, 
I do think that is a that is an area of the draft. And I'm I'm never somebody who just sets these firm rules where he's like, I'm okay, I'm never drafting a running back there. But that is kind of a minefield. Uh, it is kind of a minefield of running backs because that's where we find a lot of guys collected who we think their role is going to be great. Like we think they're in for a significant workload, but we may not love the talent. Or it's on the flip side, it's a bunch of young running backs who we think are ascending, but we have no idea what their role is going to be. And we, we get those situations wrong all the time. And to the point you made earlier, that's where you found Stefan Diggs last year, right? Like that's where DK Metcalf went last year. They, they weren't going in the first three rounds. Like the guys who ended up near league winners, basically, uh, were going in like rounds four through six. So that, that is an area of the draft where I'm, I'm much more likely to take a wide receiver. I almost never wait until like round six or round seven to, to start grabbing my wide receivers, though. I want to I want to mention one other thing from the Dolphins Bears game, um, because I think we have, like there's only so much that we really learn in preseason and over obviously overreacting to, you know, uh, sensational plays against third string defenses is not like anything that we should get into. But sometimes when we just track, you know, who's playing with who, who's like for for the for the stretch of the game when an opposing team starting quarterback is on the field, who's on the field with them? I think we learned some things about Miami and they were later confirmed by head coach Brian Flores after the game. So I want to talk about Malcolm Brown a little bit because it sure looks like we've been drafting the wrong Dolphins running back. If there's people out there who've already drafted Miles Gaskin, maybe you can uh, maybe you can talk them off the ledge a little bit. But Tua played 23 snaps for Miami and Malcolm Brown was on the field for 16 of them. He sure looks like the early down guy. He looks like the goal line guy. Um, and Gaskin looks like a passing down back to me. And then and then Coach Flores, after the game, talking about how Miami was probably going to run a committee this year. Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly frustrating. And it kind of feels like 2019 all over again. You know, heading into, or I'm sorry, 2020 all over again. Heading into the season, we thought Jordan Howard was the guy to own. And sure enough, Jordan Howard yeah, ended up right. being essentially useless in fantasy football. And we were... Uh, you know, get Miles Gaskin off waivers, and he paid off for us. But we we could have seen this coming. I mean, they they went out and they got him. We thought that they had full faith in Malcolm or in in Miles Gaskin, but they paid Malcolm Brown three point five million dollars after he was coming off a pretty solid season last year. So it should have been expected that he would have been worked into the fold a little bit. Uh, what's frustrating for me though is last year we saw that when Miles Gaskin went down, Selvin Ahmed stepped in and played phenomenal football. And as soon as Miles Gaskin was healthy again, they gave him the job. So I thought this coaching staff had a little bit of faith in Miles Gaskin to take the lead, but I'm, I'm a little worried now. And Miles Gaskin was a guy I wasn't totally sold on this offseason, and I was able to get Malcolm Brown late in some of my drafts. So we'll see how this shakes out, but Miles Gaskin is a much better pass catcher, and those are the premium touches that you want in fantasy football. So even if Malcolm Brown is the lead guy, he could end up doing the early down work and between the 20s work. And th this could end up being a little bit more of a frustrating committee than we want it to be. Yeah, I do feel like Gaskin is going to become a, a pretty format dependent player, right? Like you're fine if, you, if you've already taken him in, in a full PPR draft. That's fine because he still has a good opportunity to catch, I don't know, 50 balls, 60 balls. Like it could be a really productive season for him as a receiver. I do think this was the blueprint for how they intend to to manage their offense, though. And as 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 you mentioned, we thought Miles Gaskin was a big offseason winner, right? Because he he dodged the Aaron Jones bullet, um, and then he dodged the Javante Williams bullet, and we're we're like, okay, he's he's set. He was the guy that they leaned on last year. There's no way they're going to lean on anybody else. But man, 
coaches love Malcolm Brown. Um, they always loved him with the Rams, right? He always found a role. Even when Todd Gurley was good, Malcolm Brown still uh, uh, found his way out onto the field. So coaches love him. He's obviously a great practice player. He's obviously good at the goal line. We've seen that in years past. And he's like, you know, he's, he's kind of the thunder. If they want to run some sort of thunder lightning situation in that backfield, like he is definitely the thunder. And I, I can see him as the as the goal line guy for sure. Yeah, and, and he's one of those guys that doesn't do anything great, but he does everything well. And and the biggest thing, we yeah. never think about this in fantasy football, but pass protection is so important. And that's probably Malcolm Brown's biggest strength is pass pro. And if you can pick up those passes yep. or pick up those blocks and protect your franchise quarterback, that's going to keep you on the field. And that's what Malcolm Brown does really well. And that's why, uh, as fantasy managers, it's, it's kind of annoying to see him consistently get out there, but he just keeps carving out a role for himself as that player. All right, I got another I got another preseason overreaction for you, and this is based almost exclusively off of a single highlight. Terrace Marshall is the Carolina Panthers' true wide receiver one. How do you feel about that? Well, Terrible, I think probably. that's false. Yeah, I, I, I think it's very <laughs> false. But I do want to talk for a second about Terrace Marshall because realistically, you know, you had Jamar Chase and Devonta Smith, but overall this was kind of a weird wide receiver class because you didn't have any of the guys that fit that alpha build that they always talk about. And that's what Terrace Marshall is. And when you look at a lot of the analytics guys and how they ranked receivers, you know, people were really bullish on Terrace Marshall. And it seemed like the fantasy community was a lot warmer to him than the NFL actually was. And sure enough, he ended up dropping it in the yeah. draft a little bit. But um, I, I, he's in a tough position. You know, I think that Robbie Anderson, who led the team in targets last year, is going to remain atop that pecking order. And, you know, with Sam Darnold there and the history that they have, I think it makes even more sense that Robbie Anderson is the guy. And DJ Moore, you know, he's just a lock for a thousand yards. So I don't think that Terrace Marshall is really going to have a path to fantasy relevance here without an injury to one of those guys. So uh, I, I think that he's got great long term potential. And you're, if you're in a dynasty league, you know, you got to be excited about what you saw. But as far as him carving out a role that's going to be enough to start him weekly in fantasy, I just don't think this Carolina team is going to be a powerhouse. And then once you look at Christian McCaffrey in there, I mean, there's a chance that Terrace Marshall ends up being fourth on the team in targets. And the guy that's the fourth passing option on a not-so-great offense isn't somebody that really belongs anywhere in a fantasy lineup. Yeah, McCaffrey is probably the key to this because they actually, with a perfectly league-average starting quarterback last year, right, they they still supported three viable fantasy receivers, and that was that was good to see. And now they've got a different perfectly league average uh, starting quarterback. Um, and I think they have a chance to still. But again, Christian McCaffrey is going to see like 120 targets and that, if, if not more. Um, and that obviously takes away from from anything that might be coming Marshall's way. I actually thought, you know, I'm, I only included this one because I had somebody reach out on Twitter with like a wild overreaction that basically was worded this exact way about Terrace Marshall. And there is some. You know, there's some helium to his ADP right now. People are pretty interested in him because he he is probably going to slide in as like that that big slot receiver. As you mentioned, this draft class was just like it was full of slot guys and like a bunch of really talented players and a bunch of really talented slot guys. But there wasn't you know, we didn't have that six, three, six, four, you know, combination size speed receiver that we see in a lot of draft classes. And, and Marshall may have been the closest thing to it. Right. Like. 6'3", built like an outside receiver, probably going to see again a ton of time in the slot. And he was he was never the number one at LSU, but you can hardly blame him, right? Because he was on a team with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. And like, we shouldn't really hold it against him that he wasn't that he wasn't the alpha in, in that crew. He obviously has uh, a history with Joe Brady. That's good. Again, it's a pretty fantasy friendly offense. So 
I'm into him. I did. I did bump him up the ranks a little bit. I, I hate to say that because I hate to be the guy who overreacts to a single preseason play. And it wasn't really that. Plus, I think that's that play in particular um, was just great work by PJ Walker. Actually, like he he kept himself alive in the po- in the pocket. I thought it was like a wonderful bit of quarterbacking. And then it was a little bit disappointing that Marshall got tackled from behind. Um, so it wasn't like everything about it wasn't great. But he had a good game. I think he's going to see the field a lot. So I think he's somebody that, you know, final round of a draft that w- whatever range where you're taking that last flyer, right? Like for me, it's been Deami Brown in a lot of leagues, but I can see Terrace Marshall going there as well. Somebody that you're probably drafting is like the 60th receiver off the board. I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I feel like at this point, we just have to, any wide receiver that comes out of LSU, we should just draft in fantasy because we see this every <laughs> single year. These guys out of LSU just just find a way to get it done. So, yeah, I mean, as far as a late-round flyer, I love it because, uh, you know, the, every single year we see guys that we don't expect to be fantasy relevant that just earn their targets and make a role for themselves. And, you know, no disrespect to DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson. They're very competent NFL receivers. But Terrace Marshall has the size to really step up ahead of those guys. And while I don't expect it to happen, it's certainly in his range of outcomes. So as far as a late-round flyer goes, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely starting to draft some Terrace Marshall after seeing that play. All right. Another possible overreaction that uh, that, that I want to I want to throw at you is the is the notion that maybe Trey Sermon is the rookie running back who should be drafted after Najee Harris. Right. Like there's this collection of guys that I can build a case for. And it's ETN and it's Javante Williams. Man, I've seen Javante go as high as round three. And I think that's crazy. Uh, it's uh, it's Michael Carter with the Jets. Right. Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon is the guy who who got all of the plays with Jimmy Garoppolo in the in the Niners preseason game, right? No, no Raheem Mostert in the game. We know that Mostert, when we get to the regular season, is probably going to, at least in the initial weeks, right, and, and as long as he stays healthy, is probably going to lead that backfield in carries. Um, but he's also somebody who's had a difficult time staying healthy. We expect them to basically be a committee. I think Sermon is super interesting. And he's not, you know, he doesn't have blinding speed or anything like that, but he is just... He is really hard to bring down. And against some of the best defenses that he faced last season, you know, he had a million yards against Northwestern. It was 300 some yards against Northwestern. He was great against Clemson, like in the biggest spots against some of the best defenses on their schedule. Trey Sermon was really good for Ohio State. And I feel like, you know, he's had he's had a fair amount of buzz, but I consistently see him going after Travis Etienne and uh, and Javante Williams. And I'm not sure that's the right move. I'm I'm not sure we should be doing that. I feel like I feel like a case can be made for Sermon, especially given that offense, given given the Kyle Shanahan offense, their desire to run the ball and their the effectiveness with with which they do it. I think there's a pretty strong case that Trey Sermon should be that number two rookie running back off the board. So I think number two might be a bit steep um, because I do really like Travis Etienne. I think that Travis Etienne is going to carve out a role for himself. You know, it it hurts me to say because James Robinson was fantastic and helped me win a lot of leagues last year. But we've got a whole new coaching staff in there that loves Travis Etienne. So I think that Etienne is staying, you know, locked in as the number two guy out of this rookie class. But man, I love Trey Sermon. Uh, Everything that I saw from him last year really excited me. And Matt Waltman, you know, one of my employees or one of my one of my fellow coworkers over at Football Guys, he was in love with Trey Sermon, and he kind of sold him on me pre-draft and uh, pointed out some things that really got me excited. So I, I think the biggest takeaway here is that Trey Sermon is definitely going to be the RB2 there. You know, I thought it was going to be Wayne Gallman. I was a big fan of Wayne Gallman his entire time in New York, and he was somebody that I was targeting late in a lot of my drafts, thinking that he was going to carve out a role for himself. But what we saw when the starters were on there is that Sermon saw 10 snaps and Gallman just saw two. So I think this just completely nukes Gallman's fantasy relevance, he's going to need two injuries to find a path 
to being a fantasy starter. Um, but, you know, you already hinted at it a little bit, but Mostert missed eight games last year. He missed seven games in 2018. He missed yeah. five games in 2017. So it's almost just expected that Mostert is going to miss games at this point in his career at 29 years old. And when he goes down, we know that Kyle Shanahan has no problem just calling the next man up and feeding him the rock. So is he going to be a weekly starter every single week? Probably not, but I think that he's going to have a handful of weeks where he's going to be in that RB1, RB2 discussion. So I, I really like him as the RB3 as far as rookies go. I do have him ahead of Javante Williams, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I think the Broncos are going to have a bit more of a committee. Trey Sermon, when given the opportunity, I think that he's going to be a low-end RB1. Yeah, I, I'm willing to skip ahead to the Javante Williams discussion right now because I've I, people who've listened to this podcast have heard me talk about him before. But and, and like I really like him. I really like him as a player. I think he's pretty clearly the the Broncos running back of the future. I think that's why they I think that's why they took him because they've only they're only really tied to Melvin Gordon for one more for one more season. But Melvin Gordon was super useful last year, and Melvin was was not the problem with that team. Right, ten touchdowns, eleven hundred scrimmage yards. Um, he's only 28. I mean, that's that's old for a running back, but you're not cooked as a running back at 28. He's probably still got a couple of decent seasons left. Um, showed no signs at the end of the year that he was, you know, that he was on the way out. So I would just be I would just be shocked at this point if Javante Williams. I won't say I'll be shocked if he delivers value on his ADP because I can imagine I can imagine the Cam Akers scenario for Javante right where he's. He has a very minimal role early in the season. And then he's great in like November and December when you need him most. And Melvin is dinged, something like that. Like I can totally see that happening. The problem, if you'll recall with Cam Akers last year, is that he binged for, for the team that added him off waivers, right? Like you could you couldn't carry him for half a season and mostly if you have four bench spots, something like that, you're not gonna you're not gonna carry a guy that you can't play when we get into the bye weeks. And that becomes the problem with a running back who's like he's getting seven carries for 29 yards each week. Right. Like you're how how much patience can you have with that player? So Javante has been a very difficult one for me because somebody always drafts him as if he's going to have a September role. And I just I just don't see it. I think he's going to be a very difficult player to start early in the year. Yeah, I mean, Javante Williams is just the pinnacle of love the player, hate the ADP. I think he's such a talented player, and I think that 2022 is going to be a fantastic year for Javante Williams. I can't wait to see him take the lead role. But Denver could have yeah. saved a lot of money by cutting Melvin Gordon this year. They could have got rid of Melvin Gordon and saved almost $8 million on their books, but they kept him around. And you don't keep a running back around for that much money without plans to utilize him. So given that it's the last year on the contract, I expect – Melvin Gordon to be the lead back here. And everything that I'm hearing out of Broncos camp yeah. so far is that Melvin Gordon is going to be the lead back. So that makes it pretty frustrating. And last year, we saw a committee as well. So this is Vic Fangio. You know, he had been a defensive coordinator his entire career. This is his first time as the head coach. And what we can deduce from that first year as a head coach is that he wants to run a committee. Last year, Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay played in 10 games together. And Philip Lindsay had at least 30% of the snaps in nine of those games. The only one that he didn't have at least 30% of the snaps was when he got dinged up. So I think that there is going to be a committee here. I think that Melvin is going to be the lead guy. And all you're going to get out of Javante Williams is probably, you know, 30 to 40% of the snaps, and he might get some passing down work. But we know that they love Melvin Gordon at the goal line. He had 10 touchdowns last year. I'd expect him to finish somewhere around there this year. And that just makes Javante Williams, like you said, not even worth drafting at his current ADP. Because if he does end up in that, you know, smaller role, like you said, he's probably going to get dropped. And then you can pick him up midseason for nothing off of waivers. But, yeah, I I'm completely out on him at his ADP. 
Yeah. The other thing about Melvin with last year's committee is that Gordon is the back they threw to, right? They never, they never threw to Philip Lindsay. And then Gordon is the guy they loved at the goal line too. So those are the, those are the two things that we want from our fantasy running backs, assuming we, you know, we don't have a full workload feature guy and, and Melvin dominated that. So it's just, it's a tough path for Javante. That's all I'm saying. He's a really good player. I want to like, keep your questions coming. First of all, uh, here's a, here's a pretty good one from I Millie. And I think this is another question that will challenge your personal zero wide receiver philosophy. I dare you to say double running backs here. Uh, they're looking for advice for the 11th pick of a 12 team draft in full PPR. 11th pick is so tough because you don't know how the board is going to shake out. I mean, there's a chance that Devonte Adams or Tyree Hill fall to you at 11. And if they do, you've absolutely got to take it. But those are really the only guys that I'm thinking about o- outside of running backs. The guys that I'm looking for at 11 would be Devonte Adams, Tyree Hill, Travis Kelsey. They don't fall to 11 often. If they do, that's who I'm taking. If not, though, I'm going best available running back. And there's two guys that I like that keep consistently falling in PPR leagues, and I just can't wrap my mind around it. And I've gotten these guys at the uh, one-two turn quite a bit. That's Austin Eckler and Aaron Jones. And these guys are PPR monsters that both have top, you know, realistically, they have RB1 upside, like overall RB1 upside with their scoring ability and their, their, their role in the passing game. So that's who I'd be looking for is to double up on running backs here if possible. Because, uh, you know, Stephon Diggs, Calvin Ridley, I like those guys, but I don't think that they have the same ceiling as Devontae Adams or um, Tyreek Hill. So so I'm probably I'm probably double tapping running backs in this situation. Yeah, I would be in, in a full PPR. I'd be perfectly happy with Stephon Diggs uh, at 11. Uh, it, I mean, he, he led the league in receptions last year. Right. And he was one of those sort of keys to victory players. And it's it's funny. We, we find uh, year after year. Uh, not to go down too much of a Yahoo data tan- tangent here, but we have this little section of under the research tab in your Yahoo league, and it's called it's called MVPs, and um, it's basically a reflection of which players appear with the greatest frequency on the on the winningest rosters, right? And year after year, the guy who leads the league in receptions is is on that list and is really high on that list. And and so two years ago, uh, obviously in a historic season, it was Michael Thomas, and then last year it was Stephon Diggs, uh, and part of it with those guys is that they just never have a bad week. Um, Diggs last year gave us either six catches or a touchdown or both in every game he played. That's just stupid, right? Like that, that only happens with guys that are catching 120 passes. So if I can get that in a, in a full PPR league at the, at the very top, I would do it. And then I would come back with, if not one of the running backs you mentioned, if I can get Antonio Gibson there, I can get Najee Harris there. Um, just sort of let the board dictate which great running back I'm going to get because I know I'm going to get a great running back there, and I, I I feel okay about that as well. I think Eckler is actually one of the most interesting players uh, as we enter this season, right? Because he's a if he just stays healthy, he's one of those few names that could actually challenge McCaffrey for like the reception lead at the position. And if he gets a goal line role and we, we don't know that he won't right? like a lot of new things for the for the Chargers this season. And if he actually if he gets that goal to go role, um, I, I, I'm totally not sure that he will. It's entirely possible they'll use Justin Jackson there. I don't know. We don't know. I don't know that anybody knows. Um, but but if he's if he's something close to a full workload guy, he's going to be a top five running back. Yeah, I I dug up a piece of information earlier on in the season that blew my mind. I mean, one of the biggest things so far that's been holding Austin Eckler back is his opportunity. Two years ago, he was splitting. uh, Well, well, he wasn't splitting. He started off the season as a starter. And then once Melvin Gordon came back, he was splitting carries. And then last year, he had the injuries. But if you look strictly at the games that he has started, which is a pretty small sample size, I think it's 12 or 13 games. 
But since the start of 2019, only Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook have more points per game than Austin Eckler has in games that he was deemed the starter. So now with Melvin Gordon out of town and him heading into the season with a clean bill of health, we know how high his ceiling is. I mean, this guy, his work in the passing game is unbelievable. And I, I just, I, I can't understand why he keeps dropping to where he should. I think that he should be going top five or six in every PPR league. Yeah, that's that's just people feeling burned by last year's injuries, right? Ha- happens all the time. People swearing off Joe Mixon, people swearing off Austin Eckler, uh, and they're and like they're good players. And it happens all the time in the NFL that that you know you definitely don't want to draft last year's best possible fantasy roster, right? Like they, things turn around in a in a heartbeat, and everybody's injury prone to some extent because that's just the the nature of the sport. Let's uh, let's move on to Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, this was a fun game. Right. This is the the Patriots generally fun team. Um, there was some anti hype around Stevenson earlier, mostly because his position coach uh, was asked a, a, a pretty specific question about what Stevenson needed to improve on. This is just two weeks ago. And the man said everything. Um, they, they sounded like they weren't very happy with him. You know, and I'm sure it was just motivational. He's a he's a rookie. Uh, he had a game. In, uh, in the preseason opener, it was 10 carries, 127 yards, a couple of TDs, a 90-yard rushing touchdown, I want to say. Just a, just a really good game for him. I, I, don't, I don't think he's challenging uh, Damian Harris, but there was some buzz that he could maybe make Sony Michelle expendable, and I don't, I don't think he did anything that, uh, that makes us doubt that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still completely sold on Damian Harris. I feel like one of the rules that I've had to like teach myself in fantasy football is never buy into Patriots running backs because they just consistently burn us <laughs> year after year, and we don't learn our lesson, and we keep like falling for these Patriots running backs, whether it be Sony Michelle or whatever. I think Corey Dillon was the last guy that really put up solid numbers in a Patriots uniform. You get James White, who you can flex every now and then. But, um, you know, I, I really started looking into it, and this team was committed to Damian Harris when he was healthy last year. There were only a handful of games where Damian Harris and Sony Michelle were both healthy, but when they both played, Damian Harris got the lion's share of the work, and I don't think that's going to change this year. I mean, he's a very good running back, and for as well as Ramadre Stevenson ate alive that third-team defense at the end of the game and that 90-yard touchdown that everyone got excited about— don't forget that when Damian Harris played, he looked really good. He's tough to take down. He's able to find his yeah. holes. He does everything that you want to see from a running back. So I, I'm not buying into this Stevenson hype right now. He looked great last year to close out the season at Oklahoma. But I, I still think Damian Harris is the only guy really worth drafting here. Yeah. Uh, any news that you hear about Stevenson is really just a it's it's a Sony Michelle story more than it's a Damian Harris story. I mean, Harris's role is is pretty secure that the key to Harris's value, obviously, is how quickly Mac Jones actually takes over quarterback. Right. Because like Harris is clearly capped by the fact that Cam Newton, for however long he plays, for however long he's the QB in New England, is is going to be the primary goal line rusher. And he's, hey, he's one of the best in NFL history. He should be. Right? Like, I don't I don't begrudge them. Like, they're making a good decision. Um, but as soon as Mac Jones takes over, like, that really unlocks the the goal-to-go carries for Harris. And that's just a just a huge deal in terms of fantasy potential. But I've I've got him, I've had him for a while pretty solidly inside my top 25 running backs. Like, I I think his role is pretty secure. He's at, he's Harris is one of those running back dead zone guys that always tempts me and and I haven't really been able to stay away from. So uh, I think his situation is, is great, but it was like, it was good to see Stevenson have a productive game. I also didn't happen to think like sometimes a guy breaks off a huge gain and good for him for running away from the defense and scoring a touchdown. But like, 
he didn't have to do a whole lot other than other than like hit his mark on that run and and he was gone. Um, it's not like it's not like he left a trail of missed tackles behind him or anything like that. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anybody's first team defense, but it was good to see, uh, generally good to see about him. And, and it's bad news for Sonny Michelle if Stevenson is is the real deal. Uh, another thing to, to overreact to potentially, and I, like, I don't think this is an overreaction at all. And I know a handful of people in the industry have been calling it for a while. Uh, shout out to shout out to Waz. He's been on Philip Lindsay for a long time. Um, I'm pretty sure we've been drafting the wrong Texans running back first. Uh, you see, you see David Johnson go ahead of of Lindsay all the time. Like David Johnson is a guy who will go in like round six, round seven. Uh, Lindsay, somebody who's been going at the tail end of drafts if he's taken at all. Uh, not that Houston is some super exciting offense by any means, but the Houston starters played like 10 snaps and Lindsay played eight of them. David Johnson played two. Lindsay's the guy at the top of the unofficial depth chart for whatever that means. Probably not a whole lot. I, I just think that the easiest explanation here is that Philip Lindsay is in fact the starter and is the early down running back for the Houston Texans. Do we care? Uh, yeah, I think we do care. And I didn't expect to be eating crow one week into the preseason, but here I am. I've been beating the drum for <laughs> David Johnson. I've been beating the drum for David Johnson pretty hard this offseason because people are so quick to write him off. You know, you talk about how people get burned by injuries and then they never want to buy into that player again. And I feel like David Johnson was that guy. He was a top three pick, broke his hand. And since then, people have just said that he's dust. And, you know, there was that play from two years ago where uh, against the Cardinals where he was injured, he was trying to find his hole. And that just circulated where he just looked like a refrigerator trying to run on the field out there. And it seems like people have just been <laughs> off David Johnson since then. But realistically, he had a good season last year and, and he had injuries that he had to deal with. But when he played, he was good. And most importantly, he was good when it mattered most in the fantasy football playoffs. And he won a lot of people championships that took him last year. But what we saw is that he is now relegated to a third down role. And we knew it was going to happen to him at some point in his career. His biggest strength is running routes and catching the ball. So it makes sense. I was hoping that, you know, he'd, he'd still be able to get that in between the tackle work. But it seems that Philip Lindsay is the guy that they want to do. He saw two snaps. Philip Lindsay saw eight snaps. And then once Philip Lindsay got benched, which is the starter treatment, David Johnson stayed out there still playing the third down role. So, this, you know, uh, like I said, I, I didn't think that I'd be eating crow this early in the year, but I am 100% ready to change my take on this because from what we saw, we have to read the cards that are out there. And right now they're showing that they want Philip Lindsay to be the early down back here. So David Johnson, he might be able to carve out, you know, a flex role, something like that, that'll have some relevance because of his ability to pass catches. But I think Philip Lindsay is the guy to draft on this team. Yeah, the two players w without question that I've given the biggest bump to off of uh, off of the first big week of uh, preseason football have been Malcolm Brown, who we already discussed, and and Philip Lindsay, um, and that was you know I, like he was in my ranks, and I'm glad he was at least in my ranks, but uh, I didn't have anywhere near the top fifty, and he's very much there now, and I, I've got him ahead of David Johnson now, and and maybe I'd feel differently in a full PPR because I don't think they're gonna th first of all. I don't think it's going to be a productive offense. Nobody thinks it's going to be a productive offense. There are going to be some combination of Tyrod Taylor and Mills, who was a roller coaster of a college quarterback, right? Like it's going to be, it's going to be a really rough year in Houston. It's probably a team that averages something like 14 or 15 points a game. So you can feel free to not care about the Texans outside of Brandon Cooks. But I think if, you know, if you want to take anybody out of that backfield, you're in a 14 team league, a 16 team league. Philip Lindsay is pretty clearly the guy, perhaps unless it's, unless it's full PPR. Uh, just want to put out another call for questions. If you've got them, keep them coming. We've got one here from Swaggy P. Always happy to take a question from Swaggy P. 
Uh, and I will give this to the to the zero wide receiver guy. This is a fun one. Antonio Gibson or Joe Mixon. You've got opinions on Joe Mixon. It's half PPR. Go. I certainly do. I love Joe Mixon this year. And again, <laughs> it feels like the theme of this show right now on top of overreactions is just buying the guys that nobody else wants because of their injury history. And that's what Joe Mixon. I mean, I had Joe Mixon in a lot of leagues last year and I was burned. It hurt, you know, just trying to roster him all year, not knowing what his situation was going to be, getting these cryptic messages from Zach Taylor. And, and I get it. You know, that's the reason that his ADP is suppressed right now. But I just came out with an article recently where I dove into it. And Phil, or, uh, Joe Mixon is in a position where he could very likely finish top five in carries and top five in receptions. And I think the only other guys you can really say that about are Chris McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook. I mean, that, that's the workload that we're expecting Joe Mixon to see this year. So last year when he was healthy, not only was he seeing 4.3 targets per game, which was his career high, but he saw an upward trajectory every single week outside of one week. So they were getting him more involved in the passing game as the season went on. And then them letting Giovanni Bernard walk in free agency this year, that just shows that they are comfortable with him as a pass catcher now. So Joe Mixon is some guy, a guy that I have much higher than the consensus. I've currently got him ranked as my RB8. And the nice thing is I don't ever have to draft him there because I can wait till the second round and get him. So Joe Mixon <laughs> is a guy that I am very excited about. And and I get it. You know, everyone's making the comps to Antonio Gibson saying he's going to be a Christian McCaffrey light. But what we saw in preseason is that J.D. McKissick is still going to be involved. Joe Mixon has essentially no competition for workload right now in Cincinnati. So this is an easy one for me, Joe Mixon. Yeah, um, I I love Antonio Gibson, and uh, I can I can see both sides to this argument. And this is this is one of those situations where I'd be happy with either player if I'm picking near the turn or as a second round pick um, when I'm when I'm picking say eighth or ninth. I think you are very right to call out the fact that Joe Mixon basically has a full workload waiting for them for him. And and how many guys like that are there? Are there are there eight in the league? Seven or eight in the league who we can genuinely say are something close to full workload backs. Almost everyone is in a committee of some sort. Almost, you know, the whole league is full of guys who are like 65% of the snaps and somebody else takes 30, right? But but Mixon is not that. There, There is no other back on Cincinnati's roster who does anything as well as Joe Mixon does everything. Um, that's that's kind of how I felt about him. And I also feel like I've, I've talked about this with Chris Harris, last week's guest, many times, but Joe Mixon is somebody for whom yards per carry has just has just been a lie um for for several seasons that's a guy who like in in some of the worst cincinnati offenses they would put joe mixon in horrible situations behind the line of scrimmage and he would somehow still miraculously get two and three yards out of it right like some of the some of the greatest highlights of joe mixon's career are him gaining three yards when there's like three guys surrounding him um five yards behind the line of scrimmage right like he's been he's been a miracle worker in prior years and as long as he's something close to 100%. I do really like him this season. And again, to your point, he, he's going in the middle of the second round, and he's a player who I think has pretty clear first-round potential. Yeah, and then they had the top pick this year, and they took Penny Sewell, and that should help their offensive line. Oh, wait, no, that's that's right. They took Jamar Chase. So I think we're still <laughs> going to see a lot of that getting hit behind the line. But uh, yeah, I mean, Joe Mixon, he's just uh, he, he's a guy where his efficiency hasn't been there because Cincinnati has struggled. But Sometimes you've just got to look at the opportunity in redraft, and the opportunity is going to be there for Joe Mixon this year. And that alone is enough for me to uh, you know, put him in my top 10 running backs. Um, we've got a question from Bobby that, uh, man, I feel like we've got a, a lot of questions today from people who are picking at or near the turn. Uh, and Bobby asks, uh, let's bring it up here. 
any certain strategy when you get that last pick always being back to back? Um, I really like to double tap and, and I love having the last pick personally, you know, pick in at the turn because you can kind of control the runs a little bit. You know, you don't have to, uh, one of my least favorite spots to draft is when you're in that four five, six position, because you kind of have to play what falls to you. I feel like you can control the board so much more when you're picking back to back. So I like to kind of put the pressure on other people and, you know, heading into the three, four pick, I'll take two wide receivers and start a wide receiver run. And then when it comes back around to me, I can take the first quarterback. So it's tough to strategize because you have to kind of see who's available. But, um, you know, I like starting off with running back, running back, unless like we talked about earlier, Devontae Williams, Tyree Killer, Travis Kelsey fall. But then as I work my way through the draft, I really like to double tap on positions. Even once I get later in the draft, if I can't get an elite tight end, one of my favorite things to do is, you know, there's a there's a handful of mid-round tight ends that I like. And I love grabbing, you know, Johnny Smith and Gerald Everett back-to-back or Evan Ingram and Cole Komet, you know, some guys like that. Um, and, and just, you know, securing positions all at once. Same thing if I'm waiting on a quarterback and I'm playing in best ball, you know, I'll purposely grab two quarterbacks back-to-back. So I really like to double tap positions when I'm at that back-to-back spot. Yeah, I think the I think you hit the essential point here, which is that you want to be the guy, especially when you're when you're picking at the turn, which is not advantageous, right? And I I go through this when I do those little draft slot videos for Yahoo every year. It's I mean, it's historically, probabilistically, it's better to be in the top half of the first round. But you really want to be the person who who dictates position runs instead of the person who's constantly chasing them because it is really easy at the turn. And most people fall into this. It is really easy at the turn to spend your entire draft chasing positions, right? Like if if you use your first your first couple of picks on like the 10th and 11th best running backs, all of a sudden you're going to like I know you want to get a couple of backs right at the top, but like you've got to you've got to put yourself in a position where you have some clear advantages over the rest of the league. Um and you can't do that if you're always taking like the 8th or the 10th or the 20th best player at a position, you know, uh in the in the first round, the second round, anything like that. You just you just can't do it. With one of those picks, I'm always taking one of the best receivers out there, right? Or I'm taking Travis Kelsey if he falls. Like I want to have a positional advantage somewhere. And then again, to your point, I want to be the guy who's like triggering the position run so that I'm not so that I'm not chasing them later in a draft. One additional overreaction that I want to get to, and it was it was so nice to be around so many Broncos fans uh, this weekend while Drew Locke was having a day. Drew Locke had a great game. I don't know if it means anything, but Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, who also actually had a pretty good game for the Broncos, um, but both were terrific. And it was it was fun to see. And it's not I don't even know if this question is so much about Drew Locke himself, who I don't think we're necessarily going to be drafting. But my goodness, there's so many weapons on that team that we need to be, you know, we we need that offense to be able to support Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, and maybe Tim Patrick, and maybe KJ Hamler, and and certainly Noah Fant, right? Like, there's a lot of interesting fantasy pieces there, uh, and and we all, you know, had a had a nice moment a few months ago, and we were able to dream about Aaron Rodgers at the controls of that offense. It's not going to be him, but we we need something better than last year's version of Drew Locke, and he was really good uh, in preseason week one, five for seven, 151 yards, a couple of touchdowns. He had the he had the 80 yarder to Hamler, who's really fast. I kind of sort of think that this was mostly about the quality of Minnesota's preseason defense, but it was fun to see. I don't know your your thoughts on Denver generally. I mean, you you open up the show by saying that I'm a little bit hot takey, and one of the hot takes that I've said is that this team is going <laughs> to not not be better, but the pass catchers are going to be better with Drew Locke. 
I'm afraid that Teddy Bridgewater is just a little bit too conservative, and that's going to really hold back what we can see from these guys because Corlin Sutton is a playmaker, and he put up 1,100 yards and six touchdowns with Drew Locke just a couple of years ago. And Noah Fant is also a playmaker. I mean, this team is loaded with guys that, if given the opportunity, they can make a play. So where Teddy Bridgewater might try to reel it back a little bit and run a more watered-down offense, I kind of like that Drew Locke is just going to close his eyes and chuck those balls up in the air and let his guys make plays. He, he, he might not throw the prettiest ball, and he's going to throw some interceptions, and he's going to make some plays that are really going to leave you scratching your head. But as fantasy players, I think that we want Drew Locke to play here because he is just going to throw the ball down the field. So, so yeah, you know, I, I don't know if Drew Locke is the long-term answer, but uh, I, I think that if you're investing in Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, KJ Hamler, I think Drew Locke is the guy that you want to see under center. Oh, yeah, I think you nailed this. Um, I think he is as well. And there's his whole career, you know, every game, there's one, two, or three, just like he's throwing off the wrong foot unnecessarily, right? And he, and he, he just lobs a ball, a YOLO ball up into a mob. It like, it's bad. I don't know that Drew Locke is the guy that gives the Broncos the chance to win the most games. Um, I feel like maybe Teddy Bridgewater is an eight win quarterback and Drew Locke might be a six win quarterback. Um, but for fantasy purposes, if we're just looking for somebody who can get the the best from this scenario, from this cast of quarterbacks, if we're looking for someone who's who can get the best out of Cortland Sutton, certainly, and, and Noah Fant, as you mentioned, it, it's almost certainly Drew Locke. Um, it's the guy who's willing to willing and able to go downfield consistently. So what's best for the team might not be best for fantasy. I think it's pretty clearly Drew Locke. It is, it is, we have to wrap up, but man, it has been really good to not only catch up with you this weekend, but have you on the show. Loved it. Um, Dave, why don't, why don't you tell people where they can find you on Twitter and, and what you're working on at Football Guys? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even try to say what I'm working on anymore because if I try plugging all of my shows and articles, <laughs> it just ends up taking up the entire hour. But yeah, just follow me on Twitter. At it Dave really Bruce is a lot of podcasting. Always podcasting with somebody somewhere. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's how I stay busy. And that's uh, kind of how I na- made a name for myself. You know, I, I just hit the one year anniversary of my first podcast ever, actually. And when we were in Canton, I got to meet the guys that invited me on my first show. And it's just something that I fell in love with. You know, I, I've got friends that love talking football with my, my stepdad, my brothers, we all love talking football. So for me, it just comes naturally. So getting to hop on with people who I've listened to for years, you know, getting getting to sit here and chop it up and talk football with Andy Barron's an awesome opportunity for me so uh as soon as i started doing this i realized it was a ton of fun and just kept at it so uh but yeah just just follow me on twitter at dave kluge and, and you'll see what i'm up to yeah for sure follow him um dave this has been a blast um you're great uh, great to have you on the show folks if you if you're interested in additional podcasts we certainly have them right here at yahoo sports charles robinson is bringing the nfl podcast back it is now you pod to win the game you want to check that out uh, we've got a lot of great content here. Uh, you're going to be able to join Matt Harmon tomorrow on the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. Uh, I'm Merely Andy. One more time. That was Dave Kluge at Dave Kluge, K-L-U-G-E. Check us out on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. That is it. We are out. We are out.